Hey moms, I'm Shania and I'm Alicia and And welcome welcome to to the MomCast. Warning, this episode contains sensitive conversation around mental health and suicide. Any information on this podcast does not serve as any formal medical consultation or advice. Please consult with your medical professional should you have any questions or concerns. Hey, MomCast listeners. Today, we are so excited and honored to have our longtime friend, Dr. Stephanie Atramorfa, who is a clinical assistant professor of emergency medicine. Welcome to the MomCast, Stephanie. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is honestly such an honor. Uh, Like you said, we've been longtime friends, and I'm just so proud of everything that you guys are doing right now with the MomCast. I think that is amazing, Um, and I really appreciate you guys featuring me on the show, even though I'm not a mom yet. But you're a whole doctor, though. Yes, I am. A whole doctor, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie, we know that being a physician is a lot of hard work. You've been in school for a long time. You are a medical doctor now and we are just so happy to have you here we know it's a lifelong commitment and one thing that I noticed that recently on social media that you've been posting a lot about mental health in the medical field right so I just want to ask you what is your biggest concern about medical education and training you know thank you so much for asking me that question you know Medical professionals, doctors in particular, have really, really high rates of depression, anxiety, suicide. A lot of the posts that you've been seeing lately, um, most recently it's related to the suicide of a black anesthesia resident up in New York. And this is an individual who was advocating for unionizing residents um, and, uh, you know, better for better pay, better working conditions, um, better hours in general. And so her taking her life was just really sad um, because she clearly was going to be a leader in the field. Um, And so just to kind of clarify, because I don't think everyone knows what it means to be a resident or exactly what the journey is. I'm just very briefly going to kind of let people know, you know, you go to college, undergrad, do your four years, then you have to apply and go to medical school. That's another four years. Then you go to residency. Residency is when you specialize generally in, in specializing, meaning going, becoming like a general doctor, doing what I do, like emergency medicine, being a surgeon, things like that. And this particular resident decided to be an anesthesiologist. So the people who put you to sleep before you go to surgery right um and so that's what she was doing and so and she was in her first year of training residency programs can last anywhere uh generally from about three years all the way up to about seven to eight years uh so it can be a really long time and she was in the first year of anesthesia anesthesia is a four-year training program and she took her life within that first year um and so it's it's pretty concerning that somebody who worked so hard and so long through school um felt that things were so bad that she couldn't keep going I'm so sorry to hear that. That is extremely sad. But let me ask you, why do you think that it's so difficult for medical professionals to also seek the help that they are telling us as patients to seek? So like therapists, psychiatrists. Honestly, in medicine, I think that mental illness and mental health can be quite taboo. Uh, It's something that I think has gotten better in recent years, but it's still a major issue. It's something that we just don't 
talk about, honestly, right? We're supposed to be the healers. We're supposed to be the people who have all the answers. We're the ones who are supposed to have everything figured out. Um, so it just almost is a sign of weakness when you say, I'm tired. It's a sign of weakness to say, I'm anxious. It's a sign of weakness to say that I'm sad and I'm not handling it well. Um, and so people just kind of deal with it quietly and suffer alone instead of seeking the help out that they really need. And, you know, I don't want to get into too much of the nitty gritty of it, but you also get penalized for actually then seeking that help sometimes you have to get insurance like malpractice insurance disability insurance that's going to sort of ensure that all of your hard work should anything happen to you uh then be covered and that you can still adequately get compensated uh disability insurance is much more expensive for you and i've actually had friends who've been denied for disability insurance because they are on antidepressant medications as doctors so you know you get penalized for getting the help that you need so people would rather kind of suffer alone and you're so used to as a doctor kind of being that person who's always at the right top of your class, getting the straight A's sort of like kind of that, you know, that person. And then now you're like, well, I'm not that person. I'm the patient now. What do I do? Um, and so it's almost easier to just kind of say, I can figure it out. I've always figured it out. And I think that's why there's a lot of uh, then mental health illness that goes undiagnosed and untreated. And what do you do for yourself to make sure that you're getting that self-care? And what, what do you do for your mental health to make sure that you are okay to continue to care for patients? Yeah. So, you know, and, and you know, ultimately, and, and I can't say exactly what this person was or was not doing. And just like you said, what do I do? For me, I think it's really, really important to be open and honest. Um, you know, <clears throat> I personally uh, really lean in on my co-residents, on my friends. If I'm having uh, any issues or a bad day, um, or I feel like I'm getting to the point where I'm feeling very anxious, or I'm starting to feel a little bit down or frustrated or, uh, you know, downtrodden, I'm very open. Um, and, I, and I do tell people, hey, today is not a good day. Or it's like I excuse myself and let them know I need time for myself. Um, carving out time to do the things that genuinely bring me joy or sort of like rejuvenate me and fill me back up. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's spending time with my friends and family. Um, for me, music is one of those things, any sort of art, whether it's writing, reading, um, it's just really therapeutic for me. And so I really try to make sure I use my free time to do things like that. Um, and then, you know, going on walks or like stretching, just times when I can sort of center myself and be um, with myself and not necessarily be thinking about the day-to-day. -day. Emergency medicine is just super hectic and really high stakes and you're constantly dealing with somebody's life. Um, and so you just have to reframe your, your thought processes and the way of, that you think about things and approach things. So that's what I try to do is just really carve out time for the things that are going to charge me back up. You know, Dr. Stephanie, that's an amazing perspective. Thank you so much for sharing that because when you are in the medical field, right? Being the, the physician, like you said earlier, everyone comes to you looking for you for the answers as the problem solver. But I know it's one of the biggest things that's challenging for you to navigate is the fact that people do often forget that you are a human, right? Yes, exactly. We are humans. And so I think it's really important when you go to see your physician, whether it's in the emergency setting or even your primary care doctor, just to give them grace and remember that they're humans too. And sometimes we don't always have all the answers, even though we sometimes act like it. Um, we do appreciate it when patients ask us how we're doing every now and then. We do appreciate it when patients say thank you, because um, we don't hear it that often, uh, funny enough. And so it really does make a huge difference and can make a difference in that patient encounter in that day. And you really don't know what people are going through. And so just something as simple as a thank you can turn somebody's really terrible day around. Uh, and it's, it really goes a long way and it's really appreciated.
Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I mean, we do teach our kids, teach people the way you want to be treated. It's the same situation. Treat your doctor the same exact way that you want to be treated as well. We're all humans and we all go through our own issues. I agree. The golden rule always applies no matter what setting you're in. Now, earlier you mentioned that you are not a mom, right? So what does that look like for you as being a young medical professional um, and wanting to have children and what that schedule looks like for you, the schedule that you've already had and being in college? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So, you know, medical professionals uh, end up having kids much later than other people because we all we oftentimes joke amongst each other um, as medical professionals that we've lost our 20s when our uh, colleagues were, you know, finishing up college, starting their careers, starting their families. We're still pretty much students and we're essentially lifelong learners. Um, And our schedules are very grueling. Uh, As residents, on average, uh, we oftentimes work 60 to 80 hour work weeks, making less than the minimum wage and makes it very difficult to even begin thinking about starting a family uh, with a schedule like that. And so I know that for me personally, uh, I do want to have kids in the future. Uh, However, I'm not quite there yet. I'm going to finish up my training and, and, you know, going to be moving into my role as an attending physician where I'm practicing independently. Um, in just a a few short weeks. And I do plan on actually uh, looking into some reproductive therapy, meaning I plan on freezing my eggs and storing them until I'm ready to have children. And this is something that's very commonplace, honestly, amongst medical professionals, even amongst my uh, friends who are already married. And again, they know that they want kids, but they're not ready to. Uh, We kind of want to enjoy life a little bit. And that's the reason for some people. Some people want to be more financially stable. Sometimes it's a mix of both or in just other uh, things and other reasons. Uh, So it's something that's very common. And I know it's something that I'm going to be going through uh, in the next year. You mentioned exploring reproductive therapy. What does that process entail and what what challenges do you see ahead? Yeah, so reproductive therapies, I'm using it kind of as an umbrella term, uh, including things such as egg free retrieval and freezing and storage, as well as things like IVF. Specifically for me, I would be looking more so at the egg retrieval and storage. Um you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you have to take hormones, you have to go in essentially daily for like over like a week or two for them to look and see and make sure you have enough eggs and then try to harvest those eggs. Um, they check and see that the eggs are viable, meaning that they could potentially move on to uh, normal pregnancy once you decide to sort of get them inseminated uh, and then they have to get frozen. I think the challenges with this is one, right? Look at the time. I just mentioned schedules for medical professionals are crazy. So now you have to now be injecting yourself with hormones, which are going to make you feel out of whack, right? Imagine being on your period for like a whole month. Um, Think about it that way. (laughs) Super emotional, uh, trying to get the egg count up as, you know, as high as you can. And then having to go and wake up before work sometimes or after work and go to a clinic to go get ultrasounds and then get a procedure done um, to go get these eggs retrieved. And then it can be very expensive. So it can be really prohibitive for people. I mean, for me right now, finishing up my training where we don't get paid very well and we're getting paid below minimum wage on average based on our number hours per week um it really is really expensive and then sometimes it doesn't work um because nothing's perfect just like we mentioned doctors aren't perfect therapies aren't perfect um but i think the thing that's really um Uh, That has me really optimistic is that things have come so far and the fact that this is even an option for me and it's going to continue to be an option for other young female physicians in the future is 
you know, speaks volumes as compared to what didn't exist in the past for people. So I'm optimistic and, you know, there's always other options and, you know, we're continuing to innovate and, you know, I I only think that things are going to get even better. Wait, so you said you make minimum wage as a doctor? Uh, Yes. So as a resident physician, you're not a fully licensed and independently practicing physician yet. You work on a salary and that salary actually comes uh, as paid uh, by Medicaid or sorry, Medicare to the hospital. And residents are working 60 to 80 hour weeks. Some people are working more than that. And so when you average it out and then you add on your patient care activities, your educational activities, it ends up being less than a minimum wage for the number of hours you're working each week. Oh, that's interesting. So when do you start making the real money? The real money comes once you finish your training. So when you're no longer a resident, you become an attending doctor and you're practicing independently. Then that's when you start to make most of the times six figure salaries if you practice clinically. Um, But that's all just part of the process. Dr. Stephanie, you specialize in emergency medicine, right? And we know that you have rotated to other units, including the maternity ward. In the news, we've recently been seeing a lot of stories about black moms and how they have died while in labor or shortly thereafter for things that could have been prevented. What are your thoughts about maternal health care in the U.S.? Yeah, honestly, those stories are very scary and quite disheartening. Um, Unfortunately, in the United States, we have some of the highest rates at this time of maternal and fetal mortality, um, particularly amongst black mothers. Uh, Even when you correct for socioeconomic status, race and age, once you're a black woman, you are much more likely to die in childbirth than any other race in this country. And that's scary. I mean, for example, I think a lot of people are familiar with the story of Serena Williams, who had a postpartum complication after her first pregnancy, where she had a blood clot. She knew something was wrong and nobody was listening to her. She had to advocate for herself. And I think that as black women, uh, that that's, can be a really daunting thing to have to do in a very uh, high stress, high stakes situation, such as after you've just given birth. Yeah, those situations are astonishing and extremely scary. What are some ways that you're seeing that black moms are able to advocate for themselves? I think what I've been seeing both anecdotally in my day-to-day life and interacting with those around me, what I've been reading about is that they're uh, finding people who can be in the birthing room with them and advocate with them through the pregnancy and through the birthing process, such as doulas and midwives. Yeah, so recently I shared my story about delivering with a midwife. And how I felt safe in that process and the differences between delivering with a midwife um, as opposed to delivering with an OB. Can you explain what the differences are between a midwife and a doula? Yeah, so doulas generally are more like coaches. They don't have medical privileges, meaning that they can't be the ones to deliver the child, but they oftentimes are with you throughout your pregnancy, checking in on you to make sure that you're keeping up with your nutrition, making sure that if you have any questions, they're helping you to sort of have a voice uh, with your OB or with the midwife who you're working with. Um, Whereas the midwife, like I said, is different in that they have medical privileges. And so they are able to be there and they're able to deliver and they're able to actually provide direct medical care to you. And oftentimes they work in conjunction or in tandem with the OBs to make sure that your wishes and your birthing plan goes as you'd like it to go. From my personal experience, I would recommend to deliver with a midwife. I actually have a friend who's going to deliver in September. 
And she's now going to be delivering with a midwife as well from the same practice that I was at. And honestly, I think that that's amazing. I think this just goes back to show Black women coming together to find solutions for a problem that they see is going on. By now incorporating more doulas and midwives into the pregnancy and the birthing process, I think that Black women are trying to take their voice back in the, in the birthing uh, room and help prevent any additional catastrophic events from happening. You know, another way that I believe that mothers are advocating for themselves is by doing research. I mean, we have so much information readily available to us right in the palm of our hands. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that it's always really important for patients to be really uh, informed participants in their care, because uh, I do think that it leads to better patient outcomes. It leads to people feeling a lot more comfortable. Like you mentioned, you felt safer. Um, and I think that and, you know, and, and calm in that process. And I think that that's just a testament to sort of being an active participant in your care, how powerful that can be for you as a patient um, and can oftentimes then lead to better outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. And ask questions. Um, I know that for each one of my appointments, I had at least five to 10 questions written down. I wanted to make sure that I asked my midwife these questions. I wanted to receive the information from a credible source. I wanted to feel like I was empowered and I was able to take as much control as you could possibly take over the li- de- li- the labor and delivery process um, this time around. So I think that's really important to make sure that you ask questions too. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't think that any question is dumb. Um, just just continue to ask questions. And honestly, Alicia, I think that that's a really good point. You know, for me specifically, like you guys mentioned, I work in, in the emergency department. And so my job oftentimes deals with having to discharge patients, keep them in the hospital, meaning to admit them to the hospital. Um, and when you discharge patients, that can sometimes be one of the most dangerous times of the patient care inter- uh, encounter and interaction. And that's because you use these really big words and you're rushing and you're busy and the patient doesn't fully understand exactly what it is that you're telling them. And so I think it, it no matter what, whether it's in the living room or during the birthing process, going to the urgent care center, going to the emergency department, going to see your PCP, being prepared with questions and being active participant in your care, I think just leads to better outcomes and everyone leaves a lot more satisfied at the end of the encounter. Thank you, Dr. Stephanie, for dropping by and for sharing your wisdom, knowledge, and expertise. Thank you all so much. Honestly, like I said, it was truly an honor to be able to stop by on the mom cast with two of my oldest, nearest, and dearest friends. I had a great time chatting with you all today. I do just want to say, if you or anyone else who's listening is struggling with mental illness or thoughts of wanting to harm yourself or suicide, there are people you can reach out to. You can call 988, which is the Suicide and Crisis Hotline. You can also shoot them a text at 988. Thank you again so much, Dr. Stephanie. And to all of our listeners, don't forget to follow us on IG at themom.cast. And please don't forget to send us your letters, your feedback, and your reviews at heymomcast at gmail.com. And if you're listening on Apple, please like, subscribe, and leave us a review because doing that helps us to get more exposure and grow our community. See ya. Bye.
And that's a wrap.